Father, we do want to humble ourselves in your presence this morning and acknowledge your greatness. We want to be people who spill over with gratitude. We want to recognize the, the great love that you have for us and how you gave your only son to provide such a great salvation for us. Father, we just want to be characterized as your children, as thankful people this week and year round as well. Would you please remind us of some of these important truths today as we open our Bibles, that you would sharpen us and grow us and challenge us. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. The well-known preacher of the early and mid-20th century, Harry Ironside, wrote a book called Folk Psalms of Faith. And in that book, Harry Ironside, or H.A. Ironside, as he was known by his initials, um, told a story about a time that he was in a crowded restaurant. Just as Ironside was about to begin his meal, he said a man approached his table and asked if he could join him. Ironside invited him to, sure, go ahead and have a seat. And then as, his, as was his custom, in public or in private, Ironside bowed his head in prayer. When he opened his eyes and lifted his head, the other man asked, do you have a headache? Ironside replied, no, I was simply thanking God as I always do before I eat. And the man said, oh, you're one of those, are you? He said, well, I want you to know that I never give thanks. I earn my money by the sweat of my brow and I don't have to give thanks to anybody when I eat. I just start right in. Ironside said, yes. You're just like my dog. That's what he does, too. <laughs> Don't you wish you were clever like that? You could come back with those, just those right sayings. Well, I don't expect that there's too many people here that this morning, really, when it comes down to it, would be characterized by ingratitude. It can be, um, it can be a careless byproduct of our lives, can it? to be ungrateful. I mean, we think of the model of the 10 lepers, for example. Don't turn there in Luke chapter 17. And remember how our Lord was approaching the town and, and 10 men who were afflicted with that horrible skin disease, that contagious skin disease of leprosy, crying out, unclean, stay away. And uh, they come before our Lord. Our Lord demands an audience. He reaches out and touches them. He heals them of their leprosy and they are so thrilled that they run away and only one turns after a few steps and comes back. You remember what our Lord said? Weren't, weren't there 10 of you? <laughs> only one. Maybe, maybe that's a good percentage. That 10% of us are careful to be thankful people. This morning as we enter Thanksgiving week, I thought it would be a good time for us to just remind ourselves of that important Christian grace of gratitude and how important it is. However, I want to approach it um, 
from sort of the opposite direction that you might think we would approach. For example, um, we are often thankful when we receive good things, right? Someone gives you a, a nice pocket knife and you're like, well, thank you. That is so good. Uh, I don't know if you like getting pocket knives. That's a good thing. How about um, um, a dozen roses, ladies? Let me um, say that. And you come home and there's a dozen roses from your, your man. Thank you. That's so good. And so we are characterized by gratitude because of what we receive. And that is a basic element of our gratitude. That's springing forth in response to all of the good things, namely the good things that God has done for us in Christ, that we as believers in Christ, first and foremost, would be known as people who are thankful people. Now, secondly, as Americans, uh, we are a blessed people, aren't we? We have really too much stuff. Um, We waste a lot. Uh, If we need something, we just run down and get it, generally speaking, many of us. And so we forget to be grateful. We forget to realize sometimes how well we have it. Uh, I would invite you to turn to Paul's second letter to the Corinthian believers this morning. 2 Corinthians, and we're going to be in chapter 9. We're jumping into the middle of some teaching that the Apostle Paul is doing here on giving. What I want us to see in this passage is that though we can recognize our our need to be grateful for God's goodness to us, and that is embedded in the passage, what I mean by coming at this from a, a backwards point of view is I want us to focus on the giving part of thanksgiving. And I want us to recognize that as we give and give away both the gospel and good things and share, that the recipient then becomes one filled with gratitude. That we can be instruments of thanksgiving through our giving, not our receiving. In other words, when we receive that pocket knife, peanut M&Ms, a dozen roses, oh, we're thankful. Yes, we're thankful. But I want us to look at it from the angle of the importance of this Christian grace of giving that then spawns thanksgiving. This is a really interesting passage of scripture. And um, by the way, um, just as you track in your mind, if you care, um, you probably don't. Preachers care about their preaching schedules. You just care about having a good sermon, I think. Um, As long as it's interesting, it's good. That's all. Um, We'll return to Matthew and finish that challenge of when brothers are in conflict in the local church. We'll plan to do that next Sunday. And then for the month of December, we'll uh, we'll be, uh, if we're in Matthew, it'll be for the Christmas story. I plan to do a Christmas series for the month of December. This morning, our Thanksgiving message, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. There's only 15 verses in 2 Corinthians. And so let's... um, Let's just read it. And uh, um, really, chapter 9, verse 1, comes right into the middle of of a section that the Apostle Paul is communicating to the Corinthian believers. Uh, Now, the Corinthian church is known as a very problematic church. In 1 Corinthians, the entire book was written to address uh, to these believers at Corinth all of the things that were wrong with that church. I mean, they were... 
they were following different, they, they were following different preachers and pastors and, and, and apostles that they had. I'm of Apollos, I'm of Paul, I'm of Cephas, Peter. I don't, I don't follow the, you know, and there was schism in the body over that. They were, they had that man, remember in chapter five, who was living with his father's wife, probably his stepmother. You had chapter six where they're taking each other to court. You have just all kinds of ungodliness going on in the church. They were getting drunk at communion. They were, uh, the rich people were abusing the poor people. They were abusing the sign gifts of the apostles. It was just craziness what was going on there. And so Paul wrote 1 Corinthians to straighten them out. And evidently it worked. And he also went and visited them. And so by the time he writes 2 Corinthians, they're, they're, they're bent and their trajectory is becoming more sound. And one of the things he is recognizing in them is that they do have a heart to give. And he's talking about a problem that he's dealing with. So as the apostles go around to the different churches, they recognize that some churches had some problems that other churches could address and meet their needs. And specifically, without getting into it, there was famine in Jerusalem. There, the believers were hungry. They were going without food. So you might think of uh, our our beloved missionaries in Malawi, our, our beloved national pastors in Malawi, Love and Yohani and Elamia down there. So they're hungry. And yet another church, a sister church, a beloved group of believers who love and know one another has plenty. And so just like today, the churches will take offerings or give monthly support and they would help the believers who were in need. That's what the Apostle Paul is addressing. And specifically... He has um, uh, uh, some churches who are giving very quickly, and he knows that the Corinthian church wants to give to the Jerusalem church. They just haven't done it yet. So we're bumping right into the middle of the conversation in chapter 9, verse 1. And he says, the English Standard Version that I'm using says, Now it is superfluous. It's really not necessary for me to write this. And yet he's writing it, so he must have thought it was He's trying to soften his approach with them. It is superfluous for me to write to you about the ministry for the saints. Verse 2. Okay, you Corinthian believers, I know your readiness of which I boast about you to the people of Macedonia, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year. Okay, these believers in this area, the Corinthian believers in the area of Achaia, they are ready to give since last year. So, okay, so the Apostle Paul is a traveling minister and he's responsible. Remember, remember later or earlier in 1 Corinthians where he talked about the weight of all the churches upon him. When he talked about all of the struggles in ministry, he talked about all of the weight of the churches upon him. The Apostle Paul worried about all the churches in an, in an appropriate sense as a leader. And so he would, he's, he's caring about them and he says, look, last year when I talked to you, you were ready to give. All right, let's go on. He says, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year and your zeal has stirred up most of them. So the Corinthian believers had some kind of an enthusiasm of zeal to give. But he says in verse three, I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So so the Apostle Paul has come from them and he said they're ready to give. They're going to help. They're going to take a big offering and they're really going to pour out a lot of love on you guys. And then it didn't happen and it didn't happen and it didn't happen. And so the Apostle Paul is writing and saying, I know you're going to do this. 
And I know you're even zealous to do this. Good intentions, right? Have a heart to give, just haven't done it yet. So he says, as a good leader, he doesn't want to embarrass them. And he says, okay, I'm sending three of the brothers to come and uh, prepare to give this offering that you're going to take. And we're going to give it to the Jerusalem believers who are in need. So I'm sending, verse 3 again, the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter. So that you may be ready as I said you would be. So he's giving them a heads up. We're going to do this now. Otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be, and he uses the word that translates into the English, humiliated. We would be a little bit embarrassed to say nothing of you for being so confident. In other words, we built you up. We talked about how ready you were to give. And then the brothers from Macedonia who have already given are coming to get the offering to go to Jerusalem to give it to them. And they show up and then, oops, we're not really ready to give. Or we take the offering and people weren't prepared. And it wasn't that much. And it didn't meet up to the boasting, uh, uh, the talking up that the Apostle Paul did about them. Oh, they're ready to give. They're going to give. I know they're going to give. They're great. All right. And so he's just a good leader. And he's just greasing the skids and he's helping them be ready to give. Let's continue to read. And he said, uh, to say nothing of your embarrassment for being so confident if you get caught without being ready for this offering. So I thought it necessary to urge the brothers, verse 5, to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised. So they've talked it up. They've promised it. Now, now put your money where your mouth is, he's saying, so that it may be ready as a willing gift and not as an exaction or... In other words, don't give out of a guilty conscience at the last minute because we came up and we reminded you of your promise. We wanted you to be prepared so that you could plan your giving and you could have great joy in your giving. So that's the context right there. You got it? Kind of followed it? All right. And now the Apostle Paul from verse 6 to verse 15 is going to give some specific biblical instruction. And in fact, if you're looking at your notes, he's going to give them at least five principles now about their giving. All right. About about five principles about their giving. And then embedded in all of that, there are at least eight concepts that I want to bring out that that have to do with the blessings that spring from our giving that results in Thanksgiving. Remember, we're coming at this through the back door. We're not receiving so that we're thankful. We're going to give so that we produce thanksgiving among many. All right? Here we go. The point is this, okay? Verse 6, the Apostle Paul says, the point is this. Here's the point I'm making. All right? So he's encouraging them to give. And don't we need encouragement to give? We do. And there is a model here of spiritual leaders, and we have it in 1 Timothy as well, that spiritual leaders, one of their jobs is not to beat it out of people, but to encourage the saints to give. Why? If you give with a proper attitude, think about what happens. You you lay up treasure in heaven. And so at the end of your life, if you turn around and you're like, oh man, I meant to do more. And one of the reasons we need shepherds and spiritual leaders is to keep us doing the right thing with the right attitude so that we can stand before the Lord and he'll look at us and say, well done. Well done, church. Well done. All right. Verse six. And we're going to run into five principles that should regulate our giving. Okay, this this has a lot to do with our attitude, by the way. The point is this. 
Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So the Apostle Paul is telling the Corinthian believers, I'm going to send these guys to you so that you won't be caught off guard, so that you will give the big offering that you promised you were going to give. As a matter of fact, the point is, the more you give, the more you're going to be blessed. And the Apostle Paul is genuinely concerned about the Jerusalem believers getting a good offering, but he is also genuinely concerned that the Corinthian believers lay up treasure in heaven. And that they, he knows this great spiritual principle that the more you give, the more you're blessed. And the first thing he's telling them, letter A, is to give generously. Give generously. Listen, the more you sow, the more you will reap. Okay, the sowing is the giving. Often in the New Testament, the seed is the gospel, right? And that's often the picture. I think in this passage, he's speaking specifically of their offerings, largely just money or food, bags of grain, whatever it is that they're giving. The more you give of that, the more you sow, listen, the more you're going to reap a, a bountiful harvest, all right, so the first thing he wants them to know in verse 6 is, in your giving, give generously. Number 2, in verse 7, the first part, we're going to see that we are to give personally. It's a personal thing to give. Notice what he says. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. Right, so the Apostle Paul is fully aware of his spiritual leadership position. He's fully aware of the attitude of the Corinthian believers. But he's not trying to shame the church into giving. He is challenging individual believers to look into their heart and you personally decide. No one should ever tell you what to give. Now sometimes when we... Um, have giving drives or we're trying to knock out a big project. You know, I remember one time years ago when we had a love loan that came due for $100,000. A love loan was money that we borrowed to build this church from individuals interest-free. They just gave us their money to use it and then later on we were going to pay it back. And an individual lent us $100,000. And that was very helpful. But some things came up in their lives and they needed their money back like in 90 days. Okay, so we were sound financially and we could run down to the bank and we could take out a line of credit and we could pay them back if we wanted. But we didn't want to do that. And so I stood before the people and I challenged us. I said, if we had 100 people who would give $1,000, we'll pay them back. That's the right math, isn't it? Okay. And so I, I do words, not numbers for a living. All right. And so there is a challenge to give a thousand dollars, but nobody could. And it wasn't to, it was a suggestion. It was to, to show the church how we could do some heavy lifting if we all pitched in. And, and I felt like really, if we examined our hearts, we probably had close to 100 people who could do that. What happened was, in just a couple weeks, 50 people gave $1,000. And we went and paid off the rest with the line of credit. And then we paid that off in a short notice. So it worked out well. So it's not that somebody's making you give, but we might suggest what you give. But you should always only give as you purpose in your heart. 
And that's between you and the Lord, and if you have a spouse, between them also. You should only do it, and it's personal. And what you have decided or purposed in your heart, that means you planned in your heart to do this. Each one of you must give as he has decided in his heart. So nobody should shame you into it. It's a personal thing. Secondly, in verse 7b, he says, and it should not be reluctantly. All right, not reluctantly. So you should give freely. Let her see you should give freely. All right, never give with reluctance or the NIV uses the word there grudgingly. All right. I want to go to Bob Evans this afternoon and have breakfast, but here's my $20 bill when Pastor Van shames you out of your breakfast money for some missionary or something, or your lunch money. And if I ever do that, it's just that I know what you're going to do. Half of you are going out to dinner that day, and you don't have to. It's just a challenge. But never give if you don't want to. And it, and it should be freely. And it should be like, man, you know what? I can go have peanut butter and mayonnaise this afternoon and... That's gross, isn't it? And uh, I do not eat that. Now, I do grill my peanut butter sandwiches. That's good food. That's good food. All right. What am I preaching about here? Really hungry this morning. Give freely, right? Not grudgingly. So you should only give. Fourthly, 7C, you should give cheerfully. Look what he says. For God loves a cheerful giver. Isn't that a wonderful phrase? For God has a special affection for a cheerful giver. That right there is the only reason we really need to not give grudgingly. Right? And so always only give cheerfully. So remember, the Apostle Paul is teaching the Corinthian believers how to give this gift that they were excited to give a year ago and that they never produced. Fifthly, They should give expectantly for God loves a cheerful giver and God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things in all times. Look how many times he's using the word all that at all times in all ways with all sufficiency, you may abound in every good work. Listen, you know what he's saying here? Um, let's read a couple more verses as it is written. Now he's going to quote from Psalm 112. He has distributed freely. He has given to the poor. He's so Paul is credentialing himself and his message by quoting from the Psalm saying, this is what God does. So if God does it, why don't you do it? Right? It's a good logic. Okay. So he says he has distributed freely. God has, and he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He then quotes from Isaiah, and he says, He who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing. The final point that the Apostle Paul in our five principles that should regulate our giving is that when we give, we should give expectantly, expectantly, but with this attitude. That as I give, this is what the passage is teaching. That as I give, God, with all of his sufficiency and with all of his bountiful measures, will continue to give to me so that I can give to others. Isn't that interesting? I wonder if you know the joy of giving. Do you know the joy of giving? 
If you catch the joy of giving, it's so fun. You know what this always brings into my mind when I see this passage is, as I've already referenced, Love and Yohani Kapesi in Malawi. You know, I've been there three times. They are poor people. And it is our great joy to support them. And many of you give special designated gifts, and I so appreciate that. It's always a good thing. And 100 cents on the dollar gets to them in Malawi. Do you know when they gather and they, they have a three-hour prayer meeting every Saturday night preparing themselves for Sunday morning? Now, I recognize they don't have soccer leagues and band and orchestra and dance and cable television and restaurants. And so they love to just get together. You know, I'm not so sure that they're poorer than we are. Relationships are so meaningful to them. And they gather with great joy at the end of their week on Saturday night for three hours to pray. And they pray loudly. They clap their hands and they yell and they carry on and they're, and they're begging God to visit them and to care for them and for healing for sick people. And do you know one of the things that they pray for every Saturday night? They pray for Fellowship Bible Church. And do you know what they pray? I've told you this before. It's very humbling. They pray that God will bless you so that you can continue to bless them. Isn't that interesting? They don't pray for God to bring a strong economy to Malawi. They don't even think like that. What they pray for is, Lord, will you bless the American churches so that they will pour out their blessing on us? And that's how we should give with expectancy that as God enables us, we can then give so that, and this is the beginning of the end of the message here, as we pick up these eight blessings, so that in Malawi on Saturday night, as, as we're on our way to Chili's and try out the new restaurant, they are filled and overflowing with gratitude because you gave. That's really the whole point of the message. That if, if we give as God would have us give, it produces thanksgiving all over His church. That's a great thing. So the blessings, what are they? They're going to layer over the top of these verses that we've just covered. you got the five things that Paul says give generously, personally, freely, cheerfully, and expectantly. Expecting God to continue to use you in your, in your giving. So as we look at the passage, there's at least eight blessings that surface from this passage. The first is a redundancy. It is that, it, it is that we will receive, letter A, a harvest of blessing. Let's review that verse, okay? Um, verse 6. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. All right? And then when you put it um, in verse 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which here's our point, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. That's the key verse here. But letter A is that as we give... In an appropriate attitude, generously, personally, freely, cheerfully, and expectantly, you will find that God will begin to bless your life in a whole new way. Now, I'm not a televangelist, and I am not promising you pink polka dot Cadillac to ride around in, you know, with a big straw hat or something. 
in, you know, in a, in, at a jacuzzi tub out in the backyard if you give to God. I don't know how God is going to bless you. I just know there is a spiritual rule here. There is a spiritual principle here that as you give and bless others, you will not outpace God as he blesses you. It is an amazing spiritual principle. Now, we don't do it to test God. We do it with all of the right motives. And then we realize one day, look what God is doing. You see, the idea here is that giving to God results in blessings from God. That captures it. Giving to God results in blessings from God. Secondly, I want you to see that you then receive another blessing is the pleasure of God upon your life. The pleasure of God. Look what he says at the end of verse 7. For God loves a cheerful giver. Listen, one of the blessings as I give cheerfully is that God says, I love you for that. All right, he loves everyone, right? And God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. There's the model of giving and there's a statement of love. But what Paul is saying is that that there is an affectionate spot in the heart of God for his people who give cheerfully. How awesome is that? So do you want to miss out on God blessing you as you bless others? You will if you don't give. All right. Secondly, do you want to not be one of these people in the circle of love here for giving? God says, I love you for giving cheerfully. What I have to do is give cheerfully. And God says, I love you. That's great. Isn't it interesting? He didn't say, I will bless you again. He said, I will love you. It's a really interesting concept that he says it that way. Thirdly, I want you to see that the provision for increased giving will be yours. And I've already emphasized that as we give expectantly. So I've kind of layered on top of each other these points. And I don't want to be redundant. But this is verse 11. And and the increase of your harvest at the end of verse 10 for your righteousness. Verse 11. And you will be and you will be enriched in every way to be generous which through us will produce thanksgiving to God so verses 8 through 10 his 8 through 11 his whole point is is that as you give God will provision you for increased giving that is a huge blessing in your life Fourthly, I want you to see that there will be an outpouring of thanksgiving and praise. There will be an outpouring of thanksgiving and praise because you gave. This is, this is it. Look what he says. The end of verse 11, we already said, you will give generously in every way which through us will produce will produce thanksgiving to God. Look at verse 12. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, but it is also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. You see the thanksgiving theme here. In direct result of our giving generously, people will just be praising and thanking God. Look at verse 13. He says it again. By their approval of this service, all right, by receiving your offering, 
They will, look what they will do. They will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and your generosity of your contribution and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. Isn't that wonderful? Do you realize that you hold the key, you hold the key or the combination to causing someone to actually worship and praise God. That somebody can praise and worship God because of you. And that is, you gave generously, you met their need, and instead of them praising you, they praise God. They worship and they give thanks to God. How cool is that? I go from A to B and B goes from B to C. They don't come back to A. And by the way, if you're the recipient... Don't ruin the opportunity of the giver to just be used as a vessel of God. Don't wear them out by overpraising them. You know, people like to be generous to the pastor. And as my friend Alonzo Puller says, it's good to be the pastor. And I'm embarrassed sometimes how good people are to us. And you know what I've learned to say? I said, well... I appreciate this, and I will receive it, but I will receive this as a gift from God. And then as I turn away, I thank God for them, and I try to write thank you notes. I'm always behind on my thank you notes. I always try to take time, and I say, Lord, would you please bless my brother or my sister? Father, thank you for them, and I praise the Lord, and I ask him to bless you for being so kind to me because I don't deserve it. I'm just here in a strategic position. Isn't that interesting? And so there is an outpouring of thanksgiving and praise. And notice in verse 12, he also talks about the fact that the necessary care of God's people is provided through our blessing, through our giving. The necessary care of God's people is provided through our giving. Does it mean something to you to actually meet a real need in a brother or sister in Christ? Isn't that a privilege? Isn't it a privilege to know that there are needy people and that God used you to answer their prayer? And they had necessities that were unmet. And then you came along and you met that need. One of our home groups put together a turkey dinner, frozen turkey. It was uncooked, but it was a bunch of nice groceries in a box in a bag. And they came to me, this home group gathered it, and they said, Pastor Van, we want to give away a Thanksgiving meal to somebody who's really needy in our church. And um, at that moment, um, it didn't strike me, a family in our church, and hands will go up all over, Pastor Van, hey, Pastor Van. <laughs> um, but what hit me was our neighbors right across the street. I did their dad's funeral and husband's funeral a couple years ago, Buck. And they work hard. And I, you know, and I just had on my heart that we would take that as a gift from Fellowship Bible Church. And, and so I had the joy of delivering a gift that, that cost me nothing. And I get the credit for it. Pastor Van shows up over there and the home group had dropped it off here at church. And yesterday morning I took it over there and they were there. And I, I told them what I had in the car and I said, would that be a blessing to you? And they said, we were just sitting at the table trying to figure out our grocery list and what we were going to do for Thanksgiving. And they said, we would would be so happy 
for that. And we met a need, and I forgot why I started telling that story. The, necess the necessary care, the necessary care, right? And so as I came away, I was thankful for our home group, and I was thankful that Fellowship Bible Church could reach out like that, but it meant a lot to me that it seemed like a timely gift in a time of need. That's the point. The gospel is elevated. Letter F is, is the elevation of the gospel. Notice in verse 13, the Apostle Paul says, By their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission that comes from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. In other words, all this is, is the natural outworking of your salvation spilling over into the lives of other people. Why do you give? Because you've been given so much in Christ. You want to know why I give? Because I've been blessed beyond all blessings. And so I want to give to you. And guess what? So believers in Christ should just be natural givers. You should just give as God shows you how to do that. Personally, freely, generously. Carefully. Um, remember, I put up, I forgot to mention it up there on how we give under letter B, Matthew chapter 6, verses 3 and 4. That's the passage where our Lord taught, don't let your left hand even know what your right hand's doing. And there's a secrecy in giving, right? Because we are so vulnerable to arrogance and pride and elevating ourselves and letting people know what we've done. We love that. We love for people to know how good we really are. The elevation of the gospel. So the gospel of Jesus Christ is elevated because of our giving. Letter G, there is a growing love for the greater body of Christ that goes on. Look what happens in verse 14a. While they long for you and they pray for you. Here's where the story from Malawi should come in, right? They long to communicate to you how much you mean to them. When I go there, and I'm Lord willing, Matt White and Jonathan and I are going to go in the spring of 2018. Um, when I go and when I leave, you know what they always tell me? Tell, tell the church how much we love them. Tell the church how much we love them. We love Fellowship Bible Church. Because you have met their need. Not to wear out an illustration, but it, it fits. A growing love for the greater body of Christ. You know, when you give to somebody, you begin to care about them. Finally, letter H, there is a desire for prayer that takes place while they long for you and they pray for you. Listen, isn't that interesting? Somebody might not even think to pray for you. And then you come along and you meet a necessary need in the body of Christ physically. You meet a physical need in the body of Christ. All right? And they are, you met their need. And now they pray for you. Their hands were cold. You gave them gloves. And now every time they put their gloves on, they pray for you and they thank God for you. Where before they never even thought of you. What a tremendous spillover of giving. I can get people to pray for me just by giving to them. And it's a good discipline as people bless you and give you things to use those things to pray for them. I have often said that to people too. Hey, Pastor Van, here's a digging iron I want to give you. 
So, man, I don't need a digging iron. Well, I'll take it. All right, I'll take it from the Lord. And then sure enough, I need a digging iron. And I always think, oh, Joe gave me this digging iron. And I'm, Lord, would you bless? And I'm praying for Joe. Use it as a trigger point. Use it as a trigger point. A desire for prayer. Conclusion, grateful people are generous people. And you step back and look at the whole picture. People who are grateful for who they are in Christ and people who are grateful for all that they have and people who are grateful for all that God has done for them are generous people. And generosity always results in thanksgiving. That's really the point of the message today as I've emphasized. It's Thanksgiving week. Let's not look at it from what I'm going to receive so that I say thank you. Let's look at it as how can I give things away so that they will be thankful. Generosity always results in thanksgiving. Generosity is a natural byproduct of the gospel at work in us. We've kind of emphasized that. And really, that's related to number three. Generosity is a natural byproduct of the gospel at work in us because God is the model giver. God is the model giver, and Jesus is the greatest gift. Now, will you turn to 1 John Chapter 4, and with this we will close. And I want you to mark your calendar if I let you out a few minutes early, okay? 1 John chapter 4. Yeah, you know I'm wanting to go hunting today, so Pastor Van's going to get us all out of here today. Tomorrow is one of my favorite days of the year. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this... In this, the love of God. 1 John chapter 4, verse 9. In this, the love of God. Well, actually, let's pick it up with 7, okay? Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us. Here's how God showed His love. That, we, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. Isn't that it? Isn't that what we're talking about here? That if God loved us so much, that even while we were sinners, Christ died for us. If he loved us that much, then we ought to love one another. Amen? Amen. Will you stand with me and let's bow our heads. So will you look into your heart right now and will you ask yourself if you are a grateful person? Are you grateful for all that God has done for you? And if so, are you showing it by spreading that love out there, being generous? And in your generosity, are you producing the seed or the fruit of thankfulness and gratitude in the lives of other people? How do we have a great Thanksgiving week? We give ourselves away in generosity and that will produce thanksgiving. Do you know the love of God in your heart today? Do you know that Jesus died for you? It's your faith and trust in Christ alone. He loved you so much. He sent Jesus to die on the cross for your sin. Put your faith and trust in him today. 
become a new creation in Christ. Be happy to talk with you after the service about that. And so, Father, we want to be generous people. We recognize that you are a generous God and that out of your generosity, our lives are filled with praise and thanksgiving all the time. And Lord, would you help us reflect that in practical, tangible ways, that as we uh, show love in practical ways to the to the body around us and even to unsaved people, that it will produce praise and thanksgiving to you. We want to be your vessels. We want to be used by you. And we want to be grateful people characterized by gratitude. Help us, Lord, in this way, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.